too short to waste time being mad at each other. Open your heart and share it with your sister or brother. Walking in love and honesty endeavoring to keep the unity one mind is worshiped in the same God serving the same Lord living by the same faith the faith of Jesus Christ one mind is working for the same goal looking to the same hope Walking on the same word, the word of God. Speaking the word and watching out for one another. When we fall short, we know the love of God will cover. Looking to Christ's returning, growing up together and learning. Jesus Christ, one mind is working for the same goal, looking to the same hope, walking on the same word, the word of God. the whole world with God's word. Each one of us doing his best until all ever. As one body leading the way, like-minded in all we do and say, one mind is worshipped in the same God, serving the same same faith, the faith of Jesus Christ. One mind is working for the same goal, looking to the same hope, walking on the same word, the word of God. Walking on the same word, the word of God. Love you. Please be seated. My heart is blessed and I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to follow men from Venezuela, South America, and a man from Sire, Africa tonight. So to all of you again this wonderful evening, God bless and greetings to you in the wonderful name of our living Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, on this Thursday, August the 19th, 1982. And tonight, the synthesis of God's call to love is God's call in one mind. Nothing expresses the greatness of this Rock of Ages week any better than Psalm 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what? Unity. Isn't that wonderful? Behold, how good and how pleasant how sweet, how wonderful it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Verse 2, it is like the precious ointment upon the head. That's oil, olive oil that they poured on the head 
of the high priest and ran down over his beard and it all the way down the skirts of his garments. Well, that's pretty good and pretty pleasant, isn't it? Because they were dwelling in unity. And then the second great illustration is in verse 3. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Thought of Psalm 133 the other morning when we had all the dew up here at the Rock of Ages, how it covered the whole grounds of the Rock of Ages. And I thought of this scripture in Psalm 132, the dew of Hermon, that descended upon the Mount of Zion, that's Jerusalem area, for there the Lord commanded the blessing of life forevermore. In Ephesians 4, 3, that wonderful section of the Word of God that is so foundational to this week of the Rock Ages, as we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, verse 4 tells us there's one body, that's unity, one body, one Spirit, that's God in Christ in you, the hope of glory. One hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. This unity is that oneness of one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and that one God is our Father. I came out of a background and for many years believed as I had been taught that as long as you are sort of honest, Everybody's endeavoring to go to the same place. People are just taking different roads to get there. And therefore, I believed at one time that all the Buddhists, all the Mohammedans, all those different religions of the world were all headed the same way. Until one day I saw Acts chapter 14. And I had to make up my mind whether the word of God was right or whether what I'd been taught by the greatest theologians in the world was right. And I believe the word. In Acts chapter 4. And in verse 12, this wonderful record. Neither is there salvation in what? Any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be what? And that's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, people. That's the stone which was set at naught. He became the head of the corner. And the word declares very plainly, there is no other name, no Buddha, no Mohammed, no Victor Paul, no other name. That's right under heaven, give it among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, does that mean I have animosity toward the Buddhists or the Mohammedans or the Shintoists or the Taoists or all the people that uh, do the Rig Vedas and so forth? No, I have no animosity because I know the word of God teaches there are different judgments and I allow God to make that final decision. All I know is what the Word says, that if you want to be saved, if you want to be born again, if you want to have what God made available on the day of Pentecost, you have to get born again, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
And that's the unity that we promulgate among the way believers. I don't go out here and raise hell with the Buddhist or the Shintoist or the rest of them. None whatsoever. Because that's their responsibility. All I want to do is share the word with them. Have the word of God open to them. And that's why I believe the word should be taught all over the world in every nation. So that men and women, again people, have the opportunity to hear the accuracy and the integrity of God's word and to make up their own mind. And we in the way ministry who have worked the word of God and loved God and his word, we have to stand in the unity of the one mind on a number of very basic things that we must understand and declare. Number one is the new birth. Number two are the gifts. Number three is baptism. Number four is manifestation. Number five, fruit. Number six, are the dead alive now? Number seven, Jesus Christ is not God. Number eight, that death is not a friend, as the poets have written about, but it's an enemy. In Romans chapter six, Romans chapter six, in verse 23, the wages of sin is what? But the gift of what? Is eternal life. So eternal life is a gift. And the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life. And this was made available through whom? Jesus Christ, our Lord. There you have the one God who is our Father, there you also have the one Lord, who is Jesus Christ. The gift of God is eternal life. If you could lose it, it would not be what? Eternal. It's eternal life. And that came to us through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In the epistle of 1 John, Chapter 5, 1 John, the epistle, chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you, who believe on the name of the Son of God. that ye may know these things have I written unto you that ye may know not question people not doubt but that you may what? know K-N-O-W that you may know that you know that you know that you know that you may know that you have what? eternal life the reason you know that you have eternal life the evidence, the manifestation is not your good works, not that you quit chewing bubblegum when you got converted, saved, but that you speak in tongues. People speaking in tongues is the external manifestation in the senses world of the in, inner presence of God in Christ, in you, the hope of glory. That's why that you may know, the reason you know that you know that you know you are born again and that you have eternal life and that you're going to be in that gathering together is because you speak in tongues. Oh. Speaking in tongues is that proof to you I went through years and years and years of not knowing if I died that night, if I'd go to hell or heaven. I was hoping I'd go to heaven. But I 
figured I might go the other place because I was taught if I sinned or had even a bad thought, I'd end up in hell. My God, what kind of comfort can you have out of that kind of life? I was miserable as crazy. I was wanting to do my best for people. I wanted to help people. I wanted to do what was good. But by my teaching, I never knew for sure because I felt so miserable, so rotten at times. Some days I was on top. Other days I was at the bottom of the barrel. I never knew. I just did not know because I didn't know the word, people. It's the word that settled my heart in my life. These things are written unto you that you may know. People used to teach me, you never know if you're going to be in heaven until you get there. And I thought, oh my God, suppose you end up the other place and you wanted to be in heaven. Or suppose you ended up in heaven and you'd like to be the other place to be miserable being in heaven. <laughs> oh my, hey, you combing them pretty down there. I like that. Want me to comb them for you? That you may know. Isn't it wonderful, people? If you never knew any more, but that you know someday with the return of Christ, you're going to be with him. Wouldn't that just, wouldn't that just be almost enough to know in this life? My God. That you may know. That you may know. You have no question about it. That you may know. And that's one of the great reasons why that PFAL class does so much for people. Because for when they start hearing themselves speaking in tongues, something happens inside. For the first time in their life, they can breathe deep. They can stand up. They can throw their shoulders back and say, boy, I know I have eternal life. I know I'm going to be in heaven. The second greatest thing perhaps is if you hear your own child, <laughs> your own offspring, or some friend whom you love very much when they speak in tongues and you hear them, then you know they too have what? Eternal life. See, we stand in unity on the greatness of that word, knowing the new birth, that it's eternal life. Look at chapter 3 of First John. Chapter 3. Behold, verse 1, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed us that we should be called what? Therefore the world knoweth us not. I do not expect pats on the back from the world, for the world does not know us. It says so. So why wait for the world to pat you on the back? I already told you they're not, right? The world knoweth that not because it knew what? They didn't know him. They crucified him. They laughed him to scorn. And he was God's only begotten son. He was a, just one hell of a, hell, a heavenly good man or something. He was God. You know, he never blew it. I've blown it. You've blown it. Man, what wonderful this thing is. The world knoweth that not because it didn't know him. Verse 2, Beloved, now, 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 not when we die, but when? Now. And now means what? You don't have to graduate from a theological cemetery to understand that. <laughs> Most likely, if you attended one of those places, you wouldn't understand the word now anymore. Because they'd rationalize it, turn it into... Dollar, Beloved, now, now, and the word now means what? Now. Right now in this August 19, 1982. Now, we are what? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's the unity we stand on. And we stand straight, we stand tall, and we breathe deep, and we know who we are, and we know what God has made us to be in him, in Christ Jesus Beloved, now I'm a son of God. Let me hear you say it. Beloved, now I'm a son. I'm a son of God now. Say it. 
You're saying what the word says. You ain't lied. Sorry. And that's fantastic, people. But it says, with all of that, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So there's got to be something more wonderful coming. But we know, we know, we what? K-N-O-W. You see, I understand these things. Now I understand that word. I understand the word no, K-N-O-W. That's right. And I believe it. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be what? Like him. For we shall see him as he is. As he is. And the word says in First John, as he is, so are we in this world. Oh, people, someday somebody's got to come back and believe the word. This is the textbook. It's the rule book. You want to play football? You play it by what rule book? My golly, by sheer logic, if you want to play in God's league, we got to play by God's rule book. Not by what somebody else may say the rule book says, but what does the rule book say? If you have a dispute in football, you get the rule book out. Read what the rule book says. This is what the rule book says. Look at verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. In your body and soul, man? No. But in what? In the spirit. That's the only place. Otherwise, you and I are going to continue to blow it time and again. Not that we deliberately attempt this, but the adversary will trick us. And so we're going to have those opportunities as long as we live. For his seed, his seed, what? Remaineth, remaineth in him. If you could lose it, then it wouldn't remain, see it? And it could not be eternal life, it did not remain. And oh, how people have been condemned and driven to the negative side because somebody told them, well, if you just don't watch out what you say or think or what you do, man, you're going to lose it. Well, if you could lose it, it wouldn't be eternal. I can't even lose my daddy's seed in me, my earthly daddy. I'm Victor Paul Rearwill. You know, if I wanted to be Johnny Jump Up, I couldn't be Johnny Jump Up because I don't have Johnny Jump Up seed. I have Ernst Rearwill seed. And as long as I live, I'm Victor Paul Weirwell because of what in me? See? See, hey, if God Almighty who created the heavens and the earth cannot do as good as my earthly daddy did, then my earthly daddy should have been God. <laughs> People, why have we been caused to doubt God? Only because what we were taught only because people didn't teach us the word, honey. They taught us their theology, their fear psychology, because Christianity, so-called, for the most part, is not Christianity today at all. It's religion under the guise and the name of Christianity, and it's full of fear, fear, fear. They've driven people with fear. If you don't do so-and-so, you get so-and-so. If you don't count your beads every Tuesday morning, you have problems. And if you don't salam at the right time, if you don't put the right amount of money into the abundant sharing plate or whatever that thing is called, oh, people, why don't we just come back to the Word? And the way ministry stands in the unity as one body upon eternal life. And people, we know that we know that we know because the Word says so. And if the word is wrong, we go down with the ship. That's right. You're standing, you're standing 
in the family of God is always one of a son. Like my standing in the Weirwell family will always be one of a what? Son. Now my state in the Weirwell family may fluctuate. See, and it has at times. That's when dad take you behind a woodshed, straighten out the state. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but when my dad took me behind the woodshed, and that building is still parked over here in the wood. It's called the nest today, people living in it. It used to be the old woodshed. When he took me behind the woodshed and straightened out my state or tried to, was I still his son? Oh, people. If my earthly daddy could bring me into this world and I'm his son as long as I live, certainly my heavenly father could make me his son. And my standing in the family of God will always be one of a son. My state depends upon my walking upon the word, being in alignment and harmony with my heavenly father like I was in alignment and harmony with my earthly father. Then he didn't have to take me behind the woodshed. How simple this really is. And that's where we, we stand with one mind upon the greatness of the word in the way ministry today. And when it comes to gifts, this gift of eternal life is one gift. The other gift that's mentioned in the Bible is healing. There are only basically three gifts in the Bible. The second is healing. In 1 Corinthians, I think it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Well, anyways, it ain't there. I'm in, I'm in Romans 12. I, I better ro roam over to 1 Corinthians. There it is in 12, 9. To another faith by the same spirit. To another the gifts of what? Healing by the same spirit. Because every healing is a gift. Even to this day, there has never been a doctor and we have some of the finest surgeons, some of the finest medical men, doctors in the whole world in our ministry today. But there has never been a doctor or anybody in the healing arts that has ever healed anybody. I break my arm. Our wonderful doctors could set my arm, but they can't heal it. That's why the Word of God says that every healing is a gift. The third gift has five divisions in it. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and what? Teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come in the unity of the faith with the return of Christ. The, those are all the gifts that are available in the word of God. And we in the way ministry, we stand with one mind upon the great truths of God's word and see these gifts as eternal life, as healing and the ministries. Another great truth that we have the one mind on is baptism. Among the so-called Christians today, baptism is divided at least into four categories. Sprinkling, dipping, immersion, and what I call dry cleaning. <laughs> and this, of course, is by the fringe church or the Quakers who just sit and think they're being baptized. But some groups have sprinkling. The Anglican, the Episcopal groups have dipping. 
The Baptist groups have immersion. And if you read the history of Christendom, they've killed each other deliberately over modes of baptism. The Roman Catholics hated the Baptists years and years ago, and they were not called Baptists. They were called originally Anabaptists, which means that they were against infant baptism. So they were called a cult, the Baptists were. They were called Anabaptists by the Roman Catholics because they did not believe in infant baptism. And so... Whenever they could, they'd put them on stretchers and pull their legs off of them or pull their arms out because everybody was so Christian, so loving. All over what? Wrong dividing of God's word? Because with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the day of Pentecost, water went completely out. Because something far beyond water on the outside came in. And that's God in Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that baptism is what the word of God teaches. And that's what we stand on with one mind in our ministry. In Acts chapter 1, Acts 1, verse 4. This was even before the day of Pentecost. When Jesus was assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from where? But wait until the promise of the Father, which he saith he, ye have what? Heard of me. Now verse 5. For John truly baptized with what? But, but. The word but sets in contrast that which precedes with that which follows. But ye shall, absolute tense, be baptized with Holy Spirit, panumahagion, not many days hence. Had Jesus Christ meant water and Holy Spirit, you know what he'd have said? Right. He meant what he said and he said what he meant. With the coming of the greater, the lesser terminated. But even to this day, 1982, it has not terminated in the world because we will not come back to the integrity and accuracy of the word and believe it. We carry on tradition. In chapter 2 of Acts, verse 38 plainly says, Day of Pentecost, Peter said unto them, Repent and be what? Baptized, every one of you, in the name of what? Right. In is the word with. Be baptized with the name of whom? Jesus Christ. Baptized with the name. With the Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's being baptized in the name. In chapter 8 of Acts, in verse 16, 8, 16. For as yet it was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of what? Again, doesn't say water, baptized in or with the name of what? Jesus said what it says, that's what it means. In chapter 19 of Acts, in verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in or with the name of what? The Lord Jesus. Now, all of these scriptures in here are very plain, but there is one that is a little difficult, and that one is the one they've magnified on water, and that's written in... Acts chapter 10. Acts 10. 1047. Can any man forbid water that these should not be what? 
baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. This is Peter. Because that on the Gentiles, in verse 45, the gift of Panumahagion was poured out. Peter said, man, we better water baptize them. Can any man forbid water? I can understand this in one way because Israel was in one category and Gentiles. Here the Gentiles were doing the same thing that Israel was doing. And Peter said, oh my God, we better give them some water to make sure of it. Because all at once, Peter got so shook about the Gentiles that he thought the best thing to do was give them water. The reason I know this is because the word says, which they never read, basically, in chapter 11, Peter admitted that he was wrong because he tells in 15, and as I began my to speak, Holy Ghost fell on them, the Gentiles, as on us had the beginning. Then, verse 16, then remembered I of the Lord how that he said, John indeed baptized with what? But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Finally dawned on Peter, they didn't need water. They take Acts 10, 47, but they never see eleven sixteen that Peter just admitted he was wrong. Then why have people through the years always been so concerned about water? Acts 21 gives you that answer. Acts 21. In verse 20. Listen to this. And when they heard it, they glorified the God and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they're zealous for what? The law. Zealous for what? Law. And Christ was the end of what? But they did not accept that and they were still zealous for legalism for the law. Therefore, they made them go through what? Water baptism. That's where we need one mind, people, to stand upon the integrity of the word. That with the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, with the coming of the greater, the lesser terminated. But if you're still zealous for the law, what are you going to do? Water baptism. We are also knowledgeable that there are not nine gifts of the Spirit, but that there are nine, what? Manifestations, right. These are manifestations of the gift. The gift is the God-given ability the manifestation is the evidence of that gift. And those nine manifestations are stated very plainly in Corinthians as speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, faith, miracles, and healing. They're manifestations of the Spirit, not gifts of the Spirit, as almost every denomination and every charismatic group teaches. We have to say what the Word says, people, and have the one mind of the Word. Also, there are nine fruit of the Spirit. The manifestations in operation produce the fruit. The carpenter who builds a house produces the fruit. You see the house. The manifestations produce the fruit of the Spirit, and there are nine fruit of the Spirit, and they are listed in Galatians. Another place that we have one mind, people, of the Word, is that the dead are not alive now. They're dead. And they'll stay dead until the return of Christ, which I taught you last night and showed it to you from the Word the different parts of the parousa and the difference between a resurrection and just a rising of a believer. The dead are not alive now. There is no place like paradise now. These are things that the word has given us one mind on people. And another great truth 
that we have the one mind on is that Jesus Christ is not God. That anybody who believes that Jesus Christ is God and worships him as God is living in idolatry. Only one verse of scripture is needed. There are hundreds of them, but only one is needed. John 3.16 should settle every one of them. God, so what? That he gave, what? His only begotten son. The word of God means what it says, and it says what it means. God's not stupid. Had God wanted it to say, God so loved that he gave God, what do you think the word would say? That's it. But he didn't say that, sir. The word says God so loved that he gave what? His only what? Begotten son. Begotten son. If his son, he can't be God. Because a son cannot be his own father. But how people have twisted all of this. Well, that's their problem. Our opportunity and our joy, people, is to believe the simplicity of the rightly divided word. And we know that Jesus Christ was not God. He was the son of what? That's right. And upon that, you and I have one mind. Another great place that we have one mind is that death is not a friend. Death is an enemy. Death is an enemy. The poet's talked about its friendliness, you know, and all that junk. Crossing the bar, see? Gosh, the only thing I ever saw crossing a bar is in a tavern or some <laughs> nightclub. You know, when the fellow drinks too much, he falls down on the other side of the bar that's crossing the bar. But Tennyson's crossing the bar or whatever. Bunch of baloney, it isn't the word. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, please. And I know that these things that I'm saying to you tonight in the religious world are severely opposed. And that's one of the reasons they's many times severely opposed our ministry because it's contrary to what they believe and what they teach. How God goes around killing people because he loves them so much. You know, he takes a little child and he's dead and then people teach, oh, he's up in heaven, and God wanted him so badly, he needed him. Oh, my God. You know, God got along all right before your child got there, and I imagine he'll still be God. But that was all wrong teaching. Here in 15 of 1 Corinthians, very plainly it says, the last enemy, I'm in verse 26, read it yourself. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is what? That makes death a what? Enemy, not a friend. Not a friend. And as I teach you in the advanced class, sickness is always death, either in part or in total. And I've never found a person yet who went around thanking God for having cancer or thanking God for having rheumatism or thanking God for having a broken arm with all the pain. If it was God's will for people to be sick and hurting, then every time you hurt and every time you have pain, you ought to say, God, give me more. Try right. Sheer logic, honey. If, the, if God sent it and you love God, then you ought to ask God to give you more. If you have arthritis in your right leg, you say, okay, Lord, give it to me in my left leg. Put it in my back. Hurt me, Lord. Make me just pain all over so I can be humble for you. And then I, through the years, heard these fantastic statements. Well, if God puts you on your back sick, then you can look up. <laughs> Shoot, you can look up sitting on the john, too. Oh, how asinine, how stupid. Where does it say in the word of God, if you lay on your back, you can look up and see God? Wait a minute, God is what? Man, if you see him, he's got to come into concretion. And about the only one I've seen that is 
the counterfeit field, you know, devil spirit world. Death is what? An enemy. Death's an enemy. I hate enemies. I dislike them. I, I violently oppose death. I'm in favor of life, but I do not like death. Because death is not of the true God. He never caused anybody to die like the true God has never made a misfit nor defeated anybody. God is never God's will for you to blow it. It is never God's will. Never. You know, Hebrews says the same thing. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. One of the greatest things I had to work in the Word and took me years and years was this subject of death. Hebrews 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers, share fully of flesh and blood. He, Jesus Christ, also himself likewise took part. He did not partake. He did what? Took a part. Took part only. And he didn't partake of flesh and blood. He only took part. And the part he took was flesh. The blood within his veins and arteries was by divine conception. All that stuff. That through death, through death, Jesus Christ's death, he might destroy him that had the power of what? And that is what? The devil. So death is a what? And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And the power of death is not the true God. The Bible says death is caused by the devil. And what a wonderful counterfeit the devil has pulled off that he has Christian people saying all over the world that God killed so-and-so. That's why we have the unity of the one mind, you and I, on this subject of death. In Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, please. In the foundational class, I handled this scripture with you people. In 12, verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to this what? You're not conformed to this world. You don't walk according to the knowledge that this world shares. You're transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. You renew your mind according to rule book of the word. That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect what? In chapter 13 of Romans, verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now anything you can put on is works, people. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was born inside of you, the gift, that wasn't works. It is of what? Grace. So any place you could put him on would be where? In your mind. So you put on the Lord Jesus Christ up here in your mind according to what God created in here with God in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Tells you this in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Isn't it wonderful to have the truth of the word and the simplicity of it that makes life so beautiful and so meaningful? 4.23. Listen to this. And be renewed in the spirit in the life of your what? After you're born again of God's spirit, you put on the mind of Christ. And to the end, you put on his mind up here and you know his mind from his what? Word. Then you get renewed in the life of your mind. In Philippians chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 5. Let this mind be what? In you, which was also in whom? 
that's renewed mind. That is one mind. That's the one mind with which we stand in this ministry. That's the synthesis of God's call to unity is that one mind standing with the mind of Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, which means blow them to smithereens. Here's what you take a crack at, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, evil concupiscence, and that big word means lust. Covetousness, which is what? For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. Verse 8, that's now goes to your new birth before you're born again, all that stuff you were involved in. But now, verse 8, but what? Now. But now, since you're born again, you also put off, you put off all these. You don't pray about it. Gosh, you know, oh Lord, please paint my anger away. Lord says he ain't gonna do it. Try. It says you put off what? Anger. Quit being angry. Don't pray about it, do it. You put it off by the power of God in you. I can do all things now since I'm born again through whom? Christ to what? Strengtheneth me. Therefore, I put off all these. Anger, ralice, malice, or wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of my mouth, lying out one to another. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, Lord, help me to quit lying. Lord says, go to the rock ages and listen to the teaching. <laughs> he said, you put it off. Put it off since you're born. Before that, you lied like a trooper. Now the Lord says, put on the mind of Christ. Quit lying. I didn't say you have to tell everything you know. But you always tell the truth. Using wisdom, you don't have to tell everything you know. That's diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> and a lot of Christians have it. Look, but you tell the truth. You don't lie one to another. Verse 9. Seeing that you have put off what? The old man with his deeds. You put him off out of your mind and have put on the what? New man. The new man, which is renewed up here in the mind in knowledge after or according to the image of him that created him in here, in the inner man. Boy, what a scripture. Renewed in knowledge according to the image of God in Christ in you, which God created in you when you were born again. And in this verse 11, in this image that created, there is neither Greek nor what? Circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in the all of you in the inner man. Put on, therefore, verse 12. You put off, now what do you do? Put on, therefore, as the elect of what? Holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, Humbleness, three. Humbleness of mind, four. Meekness, five. Long-suffering. Verse 13, forbearing one another. Six, and doing what? Forgiving one another. That's seven. And the number seven stands for perfection, and that's the walk of perfection. When you're born again, that unity, that one mind on putting on these things. And above all, these things, verse 14, put on charity. That's number eight. And eight, the number eight is always a new beginning. Seven days of the week, the eighth day is the first day, which is a new beginning. The love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation 
charity. Above all of these seven, the perfection of it, you walk in the newness, people, of the greatness of that one mind, and that's the love of God, which is the bond of what? And then verse 15, let the peace of God rule where? To the which also you're called, now here we are in Ephesians 4, one what? Body. One body, and that's the body present here on this beautiful rock of ages evening. The one body is the body of Christ. They're called out. Those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and who love him and who want to serve him. It be that one body and be ye what? Right. And verse 17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by what? Him. People, that's the unity of the one mind that God wants us in this ministry and God's people everywhere to walk in. And that's why I'm so thankful to share the beauty of this with you tonight from God's wonderful word. God bless. I love you. Able to see because he did it for me. 